Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about expectations of ourselves. And I think in fandoms, particularly our readers and um, how they um, interact with us, how they impact us and how that impacts our process. Um, And, uh, you know, I had a really difficult year last year when it came to reader interaction with um in one particular fandom and I don't particularly want to rehash that conversation that I had and didn't share publicly. I mean, that, that, that podcast is still sitting on my hard drive. I'm I'm not going to share it. Um, But for those of you who are in the, it it was just, it is what it is. And um, sometimes you encounter a situation in fandom that can greatly impact your, your, your mental health because it brings up shit you thought you dealt with years ago that you had not dealt with years ago or that you're having to redeal with because it picks a scab that was a gross that was a really gross piece of imagery and i apologize (laughs) it's too early in the evening to send you to the corner (laughs) but you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so and so you build up your expectations of yourself and your ability to handle these kinds of conversations and these kinds of situations and um there there is a lot of room unfortunately in fandom for for abuse and it can come in a variety of of packages that you're not prepared for that you don't see coming and that can shape who you um your productivity it can shape your opinions about peoples and situations and it can it can ruin the whole fandom for you mess up a pairing it can yeah it can it can even put you off it can put you off writing for a while a lot of things can put you off writing actually but definitely bad reader interactions and it's not about having a thick skin i really hate it when people say you have to have a thick skin because that isn't what it's about um because it's not about being able to take criticism it's not about being able to deal with um but nobody should have to deal with abuse right and anybody who thinks that you are going to be able to have abuse heaped at you and still be able to go and do something that is creative and that that you tap into that part of you that is seeking inspiration and that is inspired by something and produce something that you feel is wonderful who thinks that that connection is still going to happen after someone or multiple people have been abusive to you is just deluded. That just isn't the way that works. And it has nothing to do with thick skin at all. Well, yeah, because the thing is, is I've been um, a a pro writer since my mid twenties ish. Well, unless you count all that time I I worked for penthouse and I don't, (laughs) that wasn't even, I mean, I sent them stuff. They sent me a check. Um, there was no um, cooperative uh, conversation happening as, as a writer when I did that um, to, to pay for books. But and I'm not ashamed of it. I don't want you to think that. It's just I don't consider that um, professional writing in that, although I did get paid for it. So I was technically a pro at 19. I did not have interactions with editors beyond, hey, can you do this, this, and this in a letter? Because it was Penthouse Forum. Um, and it wasn't about um, being edited. So the first, my first editorial experience um, was frankly a nightmare. Um, and I have had some, I have, I have had edits on par. Did you ever watch that 
80s abduction movie, Fire in the Sky. We're talking yeah, full yeah. anal probe. Okay? <laughs> I, I, have ha I have had edits. I have had edits that would make you ugly cry into a bottle of wine. Okay? Um, and that's what the, that's par for the course when you edit when you get edited professionally, uh, you you can expect things to be difficult. You can expect to be told things about your writing that you don't want to hear. And that's where having a healthy sense of yourself comes into play. And but I would never call it a thick skin situation. It's it's more about um, a willingness to grow and learn as a writer. Um, but like Jilly said, you know, I don't equate criticism from a professional editor with ab with abuse from a reader in fandom. No. And, and when you specifically ask not to get constructive, <laughs> so-called constructive criticism, which I don't think actually exists, um, and you get it, that is disrespect on top of whatever abuse they're going to heap onto you. Because there's not a single fucking reader in fandom that can deliver to you constructive criticism because constructive criticism does not exist. Constructive feedback exists. Editing exists. Beta is a thing. Constructive criticism is not a thing. And most of the things that people call concrete... Um, because there's stuff that's objective errors, right? Which is not criticism, right? You spelled that word wrong. That's not a criticism. That's just a factual observation. Um, <laughs> you know. So, but most of the so most of the things that are labeled under people label under their heading of concrete are actually their opinions about your story, and most of that stuff you change the lens you change the person who's giving the feedback and the, the opinion changes so they're not actually giving you constructive criticism they're telling you how you they wish your story was written um you know because when it comes to when it comes to like just flat out errors pointing that out doesn't that's not i mean like i said i don't think that that's concrete and it, and honestly it's just I find that to be kind of a pedantic waste of time to troll people in the comment section with you spelled this word wrong, but whatever. People will do what they're going to do. Well, that kind of nitpicking um, is really only productive if the author asks for it. But I'm going to tell you right do. now is you shouldn't. No, I, I don't think, I think, I think opening yourself up to that, to saying you want it, but to be, on the other hand, I do know there are quite a few some authors who like, they want people to point out their errors to them because they don't have a beta and it's the only um, beta they have. But when you open yourself up to that process, you do open yourself up to these people who are telling you, well, you should have done this, or your characterization was off or here, da, 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 da. But again, that is, that is through their lens of their perception of your story. And um, like one of the harshest critiques I've ever gotten on a story was blasting me, putting me on blast for something that most people who read the story liked. So it, it's just a matter of they didn't like it. They didn't like that choice, them personally. But they phrased it as if I had done something wrong. I had made it a, a tactical error. I had, I had misstepped with that choice in the story. But it, that was just because that wasn't the way they thought it was going to go. It wasn't what they wanted to see happen. But a lot of people liked it. So, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just opinion. But at the end of the day, 
my opinion is the only one that matters when it comes to fan fiction. <laughs> if it's for pro works, my my publisher's opinion matters. You know, they get the they get the final say. But the thing is, when people talk about a thick skin, I think that comes in when you're dealing with people on the internet in general. That's kind of the thick skin thing. If you're going to go to battle on like a Twitter war with somebody, if you're going to go and do that day after day, you do develop a thick skin, or you can't get up and keep doing it again. Um, that's a different thing than dealing with people being abusive to you over your writing or your art or whatever. And I would say to somebody who thinks that those things are equivalent is how often have you had like, you know, a run-in with an abusive asshole or something, you know, you know, out in front of the car coffee shop that just completely enraged you and they were completely out of line. And then you went home and immediately sat down and tapped in and, and got into the hobby that makes you feel good. And you did something you love that you find relaxing. No, you, it throws you off your game. You don't just go and get right back into your groove. So all these people who say, oh, you got to have a thick skin, those are probably the people who are um, trying to use that as, uh, uh, trying to make themselves feel better about their own bad behavior. Because what you do is you go home, you stew on it a little while, you find somebody to bitch about it with, you get online and bitch about it in an anonymous way so this person doesn't find you and continue to abuse you. Then you get in the shower three hours later and you think about what you should have said to this asshole but didn't right. get a chance to. And now you can't because you don't know who they are. And then your whole day and then all of your plans for the evening are shot. And you go, oh, well, I was going to work on my I don't know, knitting project this evening. I didn't get any of it done. And then you're mad the next day because you didn't get your didn't finish making your you know new hat or whatever. Because you don't want to just dive into the thing you love that makes you feel good that is your creative outlet when you're pissed off and it's not about a thick skin so people who say that it's sort of like they're trying to um well they're honestly it's a weird form of kind of like gaslighting i think they're saying i'm going to abuse you so you just better buck up and and get better about and dealing take with it, it. Yeah, take it like a man. But the other part of that is, is that is actually for somebody who would be considered neurotypical. But you look at somebody who is suffering from clinical depression, or someone who has autism, or someone who is, um, you know, struggles with anxiety, and then you put that situation on top of those um, circumstances, and you have a whole different animal. You have someone who could fixate for a month and a half because some guy at the coffee shop told them to kiss their ass. And then they get nothing done for weeks. And yeah, every time I think about it, it comes right back up and all that anxiety just piles on top. And that kind of thing is just, and, and you don't know when that's one of the great dangers. Like, the internet is wonderful. I listed it as one of my 10 favorite things um, this week. But the internet, one of the downsides of the internet is we stop forgetting that we're, we stop forgetting. <laughs> we forget that there are actual people on the other side of the screen. People who have feelings or who may, who may not brush things off as easily as the person saying them. Who may obsess about, you know, a, uh, a, a throwaway, what might be a throwaway line to you, they might be obsessing on for years, wondering why you were so cruel to them. And you may not have meant it that way at all, but because you couldn't take a few minutes to communicate clearly, um, or to just withhold your snark when it's not appropriate, you've, you've 
caused them an emotional injury that didn't need to exist. And it's because we just forget that there are people on the other side of the screen. Actual people with actual feelings. Um, that's one of the big downsides of the internet. And it it is a pervasive problem in fandom. And then there become whole like subcultural norms in certain fandom groups. Some fandom groups are really abrasive, like borderline toxic. Um, and they wait for an opportunity to dogpile on you. Yeah. And if you're new to that group and you've never seen them do it, you don't see it coming. And it's blindsiding and hurtful and it lingers. Someone's going to listen to this podcast in the future and say, hey, wait, did Kira say that people who have clinical depression aren't neurotypical? And yes, I did. I have suffered with clinical depression since um, my early teen years, and I do not consider myself neurotypical. Um, I've, over the last year, developed um, severe anxiety around the, the thing, the thing that we're dealing with. Um, and I, uh, I've was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder um, in my mid-20s. Which is an anxiety condition. Yeah. Um, but these anxiety attacks, these panic attacks I've been having are unreal. Because I've only ever had one before. And that was related to a medication I was taking. And it is really disconcerting. Yeah. And I, I think anxiety conditions also. People who deal with chronic anxiety conditions are also neurotypical. Um because some of those anxiety conditions are can be crippling. Um, they can be make it very difficult to, uh, especially um, interpreting um, and and dealing with people without the social cues. In my because I mean I talk with people every day who have anxiety issues. And one of the common things that come up is like, am I interpreting this wrong? Are they upset with me? Um, what does this mean? You know, it's like trying to interpret what somebody said online becomes, and and it and it's the same thing when they're authors getting, you know, authors with anxiety issues, they get a comment from a reader. It's like, is this as negative as it seems to me? I mean, or is it, or is this, is this nice? I don't understand how to interpret this. Are they criticizing me? Um, so I have this little, pet peeve in, in my feedback section and I know that 99% of the time when someone does this they do not mean anything negative about it um, it's usually a bad pairing that they don't read but I hate to see it and it's I love almost everything you write yeah <laughs> well and the thing, I get I get kind of where they are in their brain it's like <laughs> they, I, I get it yeah, I get it's. I almost feel like that's coming out of an anxiety place for them. It's like they don't want to commit that they've liked the thing that you've written, so they, <laughs> they they're, they're giving themselves an out, like you know. But just don't say it. Just say I love this. I love this. This is great. <laughs> it's okay if you don't like that one Sherlock Vic that I wrote where he's a serial killer. I get it. And if you don't like that one where John's a serial killer, I get that too. Even if you didn't get it, that he was a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't have a particular investment with 
if like we've talked before, I don't keep track of like, did so-and-so comment on this work? And if they didn't, where are they? I'm not going to go hunt them get down and go, did you read this? What's the matter with you? I didn't check you off. Um, I mean, I don't know what to do with um, people when they're very vague in their, uh, in their opinions about me or my work. I mean, I don't really want their explicit <laughs> opinions, but also there's that, I like everything almost, but I don't always agree with it, but you know, I'm like, okay. I mean, is, is that ego? Mine or his? I mean, what, what is uh, that? Oh, it's who, I somehow, I feel like it's people are trying to give themselves a disclaimer. Like, I don't want to commit to being a fan or something. I don't, I don't know. To which I'm going to respond, bitch, you're a fan. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, but, but on top of reader expectations that we, um, that we have as, um, as writers, um, there, there's also personal expectations that I piled on myself last year to a ridiculous degree. Now, I made a lot of these decisions about what I was going to do and my goals for the year, but before the big thing hit. The thing. <sighs> then the big thing hit, and it was just like... <sighs> yeah, I mean, 2020 was... I've actually decided 2020 is not over yet. That's still the 2020 lunar year. So until we get to the lunar <laughs> new year, it's not done. Um, because we need we need an opportunity to actually get to, you know, this this can't be 2021 yet. Um, but it's already been 2020 for five years. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I did, I had a lot of, ex I had a lot of expectations of myself on the creative front and in a lot of other ways last year because of, um, honestly, because of the year prior, you know, it was based upon what, how the year prior had gone, how 2019 had gone. Um, and 2019 was a difficult year too. So because 2019 had gone pretty well on the writing front, I had a really high expectations for myself. And so I set year goal a goal goals for the year i decided i was going to set year goals so when i set my goals for this year my only goal writing wise was to evaluate my writing goals week by week based upon where i was at and what i wanted to do and and you know and and then if something happened in that week like this week um that through my goal for that week off, then the, that week just is just reset. Just that week is just off, you know, and let, I decided to, I was going to cut things down to a much smaller, more manageable piece than trying to manage a year's worth of expectations. And then, because I felt like I had failed my year's worth of expectations by March. I mean, I felt like, and I felt like it was just a downward spiral from there. It's just like it was never getting better. Um, and recently she took a page out of my playbook. Which one? <laughs> the broken one. Oh, <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, broke two, I broke two toes. Because, <laughs> you know. 
unfortunately, she hasn't taken the whole page because we don't have a hundred k of Harry Potter fit coming to our way. No. <laughs> no, I did that. I did. I did the did the whole foot. I've done did the whole foot like a few years ago, but um, you know that was that was that was, that was before y'all. Um, <laughs> But yeah, because you know, of course, you know, why not? But at least, at least this is just this. At least this is manageable. It's just tape them together and deal. Um, but it's difficult when you when you heap a lot of expectations on yourself, and then you you know. I think the moment that you know you're not going to be able to meet your expectations, and even maybe there's a point that you don't even care anymore, there comes this sort of well, fuck it. <laughs> you just throw your hands up and kind of go, I give. Give in, I give in, I give in. Um, <laughs> and when I when I came into this year and I was like, what am I going to, what is my goals? Because that was one of your dumb challenges. Like, what are your goals for this year? And I actually did, mm -hmm. that's like the only one I put much thought to. Um, oh, wait, for those of you who are listening to the podcast who are not on the server, she was not insulting me. The challenges are literally called dumb challenges. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, your dumb challenges. <laughs> that was your dumb idea. <laughs> so um, that's the only one I put much thought much much thought to. Although I did, I think I did agonize, like agonize over my favorite song from the '90s. I think that was the one I just. <laughs> Like, what am I going to put? What am I going to put? Um, <laughs> it was like the most important decision you made all day. <laughs> it, well, that, yeah. I don't know why that one was the agonized one, because it's like, when it comes to favorite music decade, like, the 70s should be a difficult pick. Like, I mean, I love so much music from the 70s. Um, so that one should have been really difficult. But, man, I agonized over the 90s. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um but anyway, aside from that, most of them I just was like, okay, this this was the first thing that came to mind. I'm going to go put it down. But the one, like, what are your goals for this year? I really thought about that, and I really wanted to have one specific to like to like writing. And I thought about the writing thing, and I I did some more stuff that had nothing to do with what I wrote on the server. But I really wanted to like give myself a framework for goals for this year that was more flexible and less um, less less unforgiving and that so so that if a week went like this week went and um my goals for writing kind of flew out the window because i spent literally four days watching the news i would not feel like i had failed miserably you know and i would not wind up being really down on myself and um and I, so I think that I just kind of went from like a year, year long goal to week long goals. And that's the way I decided to kind of how I kind of trust, decided to handle how I felt about what I felt to me. It felt like a, not so much a failure of writing last year. Cause I feel like the fact that I got any writing done last year was probably a good, I mean, I didn't finish anything last year, but I felt like the fact that I wrote at all considering the way the year went um, is a good thing. Um, but it just, it's still, I felt like that I hate giving myself a goal and then not, not hitting it. I usually am somebody who exceeds their goals. So that I flopped so miserably with it, um, was hard. It was, it was hard to deal with that. 
And I tried to figure how to reframe how I approach my writing this year. That was a little bit more flexible, a little bit more forgiving, and give me more opportunities to feel like I'd accomplished something. So, you know, because it, it was difficult. Last year, I think the hardest part for me emotionally last year, other than not getting to, you know, see a lot of my family and stuff, I think the hardest part about last year was feeling like I just my writing, I felt really disconnected from my writing last year. Um, even the stuff I wrote, I felt disconnected from it. I mean, who knew we would start the first week of 2021 with a C-SPAN watching party? I mean, there should always be a lot of alcohol involved in a C-SPAN watching party. And we all did that sober. That was just not kosher. That was not cricket. I'm not having it again. <laughs> The next time we all sit around and watch C-SPAN for like 12 hours, we are going to have booze and funny brownies. <laughs> all the funny brownies. <laughs> I think that, um, like, you need to pick out, uh, you need to do your goal structure around um, what is most comforting to you mentally. I think, um, for me, doing a weekly kind of goal system like that you that you're currently navigating would only increase my anxiety because I do have a certain level of procrastination built into my day <laughs> and if I had to adjust my goals weekly and account for my level of procrastination that's going to be balanced into my day it would be it would give me a lot of anxiety. I need more room. So giving myself a monthly goal uh, feels very doable. And some people like to sit and down and plan a month. Some people might feel more comfortable sitting down and planning a day. Um, but I think the important thing is you figure out what level of planning for your goals and your writing feels good to you. Um, and that you not overburden yourself. Because somebody mentioned up above... It's just, I just saw the comment. Um, they just gotten back into writing um, after a long time where they couldn't write and that they were scared of having it dry up after not being able, for not being able to make goals. Um, and I think that's one of the things, if goals become an obstacle to your writing, if the goal itself becomes an obstacle, like it's in your way, um, then you need to figure out a different goal system or drop the goal entirely and just write. And, you know, I think that sometimes like we've talked on other podcasts about like people who write works in progress and give themselves an update schedule can sometimes start to feel really burdened by that update schedule because they start to feel all this pressure, like they're letting their readers down and like they've got stuff, they've got real life stuff going on and all they can think about, they've got this massive pressure of, I haven't got this chapter out. Right. And the pressure of the fact that they didn't get a chapter out for one week, that pressure winds up maybe delaying that chapter for three weeks where if they hadn't been committing to things, they might've only been delayed by a few days, you know? So it, you got to find out what doesn't work for you and, and remove those things. So it's like in the quantum bang, one of the things we tell people is you don't need to drop out of the quantum bang. You don't need to do anything. If you sign up, the only thing you have to do is you don't turn in a story. You are effectively dropped out. That's it. You don't owe me any explanations. You don't owe Kira any explanations. 
it is supposed to be fun. It is supposed to be encouraging. It is not supposed to be a defeating thing. But some people really feel like they need to overtly drop out for their own mental health. It's like they need to know. Like it's like it's like the expectation they've put on themselves of the challenge for doing the challenge has become its own burden, and so they want to for themselves say, "I'm out." And it's like, if you're doing it for you, you are welcome to dr officially drop out, even though there's no official dropout. <laughs> but it's not for me. And that's one of the things that I try to make clear to people. You are welcome to drop out if it's enhancing your own mental health. But you don't need to drop out because I will know that you've dropped out when you don't turn in your story. So we do a de facto dropout process with the quantum bang. But if anybody needs to, to manage their own anxiety, do an official dropout, I would never tell them they can't do that because I fully support you managing your own anxiety. The de facto dropout in rough trade is the middle of the challenge. So the 14th, the 14th, 15th day, if you've not posted, I assume you've dropped out. I remove your project from the, um, the site. That's it. You don't get an email. Um, there's no pen there's no penalty period. You know, you're not cut out from the next challenge. You know, it's just and, and the same thing. The only there are very few things that would get you cut from the quantum bang, and that is if you wasted the other another participant's time. So, we had one author, not author. We had one artist in the first quantum bang, um, who. Like we had to get a pinch hitter. Like they told me they had the art and they were going to submit it in like, they were already two days late. You know, we're going to submit it. And like, told me they're going to submit it. If I could give them an extension, I gave them an extension like 72 hours past the 48 hours already due. So five days late. And then I just never heard from them again. Um, and because there was so much time wasted and I had actually, this is in the thing about, you know, you waste a bunch of people's time. Um, we're, that's what we're going to not let you in the challenge back in again for. And so that's like, once you get to that pair up commitment stage, if you don't communicate well and you kind of flake, then yeah, I'm not going to let you do the challenge with us again. So it, that's been like one person, but that's, that's it, you know? And if somebody had a real life situation, like, oh, we've done the pair up and I, you know, I've, I've got this big real life thing happening and I can't commit. I go, okay, no problem. We'll get a pinch hitter take care of yourself. We hope to see you next year. We hope everything's okay. That's fine. It's the lack of communication kind of thing is where we have like this teeny tiny penalty. It's like if you kind of turn into a giant flake at the last minute and have a scrambling, I'm yeah, I'm not going to waste time with you again next year. But other than that, I mean, it was supposed to be like a no anxiety kind of no penalty kind of challenge. And so if people need to do things like drop out or, you know, they want to do things more overt to help themselves feel better. That's totally fine. But otherwise it's always been a very kind of low key. We want people to feel comfortable and feel like it's um, that, that they're not hampered by, you know, worrying about there's going to be a penalty if they don't cross the finish line, because there wouldn't be, I, I know some challenges operate that way, but you know, Kira doesn't do it for rough, for tra rough trade. We don't do it for the quantum bang. It's just, no, it's a lot of effort. If I had to a keep a shit list for rough trade participants, I mean, it would be ridiculous. I, I don't have time for that shit. Nobody has time for that shit. Um, and, you know, no matter what anybody says, there's only one person, one person who's been banned from rough trade. And they were banned from rough trade for verbally abusing me on Facebook. 
because I made the decision not to have that person in my life in any single fashion. And since rough trade is my space, he's not welcome in my space. That's just the way that is. Um, There have been some people who've been disqualified from an individual challenge. Like the last thing you want to do is disclose to any of the admins or mods of rough trade that you've pre-written your story. I mean, that's like really dumb. Um, You know, there's always sometimes, not always, there's sometimes there are suspicions like, did this, was this, like written like already you, you think sometimes you wonder but no one accuses it's like it's an honor system kind of thing but you know when you post like a big chunk of it before the challenge ever starts we get a big old clue <laughs> so yeah um and you get a second chance and then when the day when the first day of posting goes you, you do it again with the same content like i wouldn't have looked but even then you're not banned. You're just removed from the current challenge. Yeah. So getting removed from one challenge doesn't really mean anything. It's just you can't do this one challenge. And the pre-writing thing, I think that's the number one reason why most people get removed from the challenge is they inadvertently or inadvertently remove, reveal that they've already written their story. I th- and- one, one person has been removed from Red Trade for, for, for pre-writing. And letting me know. Otherwise, you get removed because you don't post. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well, that, but that's the middle of the month thing. Right, right. But I've only ever kicked one person off for pre-writing that I can remember. I do have a fuzzy memory, but I'm pretty sure it's just the one person. There was one person I was pretty sure did it, but I had no proof. I think there was one you talked to them about it, and they said they'd only done the like the one chapter or something and they wouldn't write any and they didn't do any more something this is something to go but it's vague. I, I didn't boot vague. them I didn't, yeah, yeah it you, was very vague you didn't boot them it was the person who did it twice so yeah i mean some people some people's children but if you're gonna write 20 30k before the challenge even starts don't don't make draft posts on rupture <laughs> <laughs> come on (laughs) do you think we can't see that um (laughs) okay but back about (laughs) just we did not mean to veer off into that territory but about structuring a monthly goal i think that basically for me what i did was i looked at um what seemed feasible to me and what felt like a good healthy goal to to do to strive for um as we're going through and i also looked at my schedule over you know what what's going to be happening in april what's going to be happening in july then we have the august start of the quantum bang and then we have um November. Of course, you don't have to start your quantum bang in August. You could have started your quantum bang two years ago and you finished it next year around August. You could sign up for the quantum bang. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could have written a you could have written a fix it 10 years ago and as long as you haven't posted it anywhere. Uh, <laughs> dude, I've got no fucks to give. You can sign up. 
But the point just is that managing your expectations and also creating a situation where you feel successful um, and not having a situation where you create goals for yourself, where you end up demoralizing yourself. So when I was looking at how I wanted to structure my stuff and I was like, okay, well, I want to, I want to try to do some short works this year to kind of like dip my fingers into other or dip my toes into other um, fandoms and kind of like expand. Um, and then I also want to work with the prompt calendar, uh, a project style. I like to, for me, being able to complete one story Oh yeah, no. I yeah. Having a workout goal outside of Rough Trade or for the Quantum Bang is not on my radar right now. Um, now I'm doing the prompt calendar this year that we put up on um, Writing and Junk, um, and it is it is set up in a monthly format. Uh, for number one, for organization's sake, and number two, because I thought that it might be helpful to some people. But you don't have to follow that. You could pick a prompt. Um, um, you could pick a prompt from December and do it tomorrow if you want. It's just about. Um, it was about organization and maybe offering some people who want it some structure. You know. Yeah. But if you look at the prompts, there are one, two, three, four, five. Six. There are six prompts basically on each page, and we have well tab, and we have twelve tabs. So six times twelve is, y'all, <laughs> sixty-eight, seventy-two, right? Seventy-two, seventy-two. Thank you, Star. So that's seventy-two prompts over there on the um, prompt calendar for twenty twenty-one, um, because you can use the image or the sentence, or you can use the sentence and the image together. It's entirely up to you. So we have sent, we have full sentence prompts, we have images, and then we have quote prompts, and then we also have a theme, actually. So 72 plus 12 is 84. 84. So we have actually 84 prompts on the calendar because um, we have a theme and we also have a quote. And you could use those individually if you wished. So that's, yeah. That's a lot. We have 84 prompts on that fucking calendar. What, what were we thinking, Jillian? I don't know. Sometimes we get into these, we get, we get into a mode and then it's like, whoa, that's, that's done well, now. What had happened was, is I started with 12 and then I realized that I had picked 12 prompts. She, she meant bored, right? Okay. <laughs> because that changed the context a lot, Lady Holder. <laughs> I missed what she, how she spelled it. B-O-R-E-S. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what happened was, it's okay. So, I made 12 prompts, and they were all prompts for male characters. Then I thought, then I went back and I made 12 more prompts. And then I gave them to Jilly, and Jilly was like, well, you don't have a lot of variety. <laughs> yeah, I did tell them. Like four or five fandoms. And then it got re, and then, and, and then, themes got added and then quotes got added and then there was art and it just so now we have 84 prompts we were bored but they this is not mistakes this is like ideas happened we were bored and ideas happened but it's for me yeah I mean I I think attaching a word count goal this year for me would be a real dumb idea 
Yeah, especially since I flopped so bad with word count goal last year. Um, so the way I've been approaching my, and I do it based, I do, I do project style goals, but I'm also kind of like, um, because I am doing it weekly, I kind of sit down with my week and I go, okay, what am, what am I, how much time do I have this week? And what is the thing I want to work on this week? And, you know, what, what do I want to accomplish? Cause some things, some things are time driven. Um, like sometimes I have a deadline on something like the quantum, like any kind of challenge, like I got to get this done in this time. But other than that, it's like outside of challenge stuff, which is time bound. Like I got to work on that this week. It's like, well, what am I inspired by? What do I want to work on? That kind of thing. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I do, I do look at that for like kind of on a week to week basis and kind of go, well, what, what is it I want to try to accomplish? Although, um, there is also right now because some months because of cha other challenges going on, I do wind up with a big goal for the month. But then I kind of, like I said, I am parsing it out for me in kind of a week to week basis because um, I don't want to just feel like, you know, one, one or two screwed up days is going to throw my whole. Sometimes I can get in that throw the baby out with the bathwater mindset. So that's why I'm trying to give myself room to, um, I'm trying to give myself room to uh, pivot, I guess you could say. Like, well, this week sucked, which it did. Um, I didn't get much done. I didn't. And so this is how I'm going to recover next week. As opposed to, well, this whole month is fucked. But your goal could be simple. It could be, okay, I'm going to pick out a work in progress to write on this month. Yeah. I'm going to um, work on a timeline for my story in April. I'm, 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 I'm going to come up with a story for April. I, still <laughs> I am. I am willing to bounce. If you have ideas. Um. um yeah. But uh. So just like giving yourself a goal that is manageable that doesn't stress you out the idea of that you will enjoy um i think is really a good idea for this year it's about self-care um about nurturing the writer that you are versus the writer that you might want to be because we all have this idea of the writer that we are right um or the writer that we want to be in the future, this, this, for me, that's a ever evolving mental image because I want to grow and change every time I sit down to write. But also I think it's important for my own mental health to accept the writer that I am and to accept the fact that I've got 386 pages of my manuscript to edit all the radio conversations and phone conversations. You don't have to. I used I to do that where I would italicize the person not in the room. I stopped doing it because I was fucking it up. Um, and I wouldn't notice. And my betas honestly didn't notice. Never had a beta call me on getting that wrong. And then I would read it later. <laughs> For my peace of mind works, if somebody's speaking who is not physically in the room, they're 
dialogue is italicized. I did that for time, my right time in a Harry Potter <laughs> and, story and ministry. Sometimes you're capitalizing it, and not. And I'm like, Kira, Kira Murray, we need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk <laughs> about your random capitalization. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Dark. I don't care which, but just pick one. Especially, especially in a Harry Potter story. I'll be like, you know, in Harry Potter, it, the canon capitalization honestly has no rhyme or reason. Um, so you can honestly make a case sometimes for doing things that stylistically don't make sense. Um, like, I think she capitalizes, or I hate, I hate every time I bring that word up. I think she capitalizes that in canon. There's no reason, so. there's no reason why it should be. No, because it's just another word for cop. Right. So, you know, I mean, it all depends upon how you look at some of these things. But so, but the thing is, is like, if you're going to do there, we talked about it one day. It's like the whole muggle, half blood, pure blood thing. Like one of them's capitalized and two of them are not, or two of them are capitalized. and one Muggle of them born is capitalized and hyphenated. Pure blood is lowercase and not hyphenated. It's, it makes no sense. It, it's like, <sighs> It, the capitalization isn't consistent, and so because it's not consistent, you could make a case for doing um, kind of what you want. Um, I remember we were on one night we were we were having a discussion about consistency actually, and we were looking through canon sources to try to find how what she had done in canon, and like she has no consistency. Why is this type of word? She's consistent about the word itself, but she's not consistent about types of words. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that Muggle should not be capitalized because Wizard is not capitalized, and neither right. is the D word that she uses that I'm not using. Right, but she capitalized Muggle. It's like why? Why is and Muggle she capitalized? didn't capitalize Centaur or House Elf? Nope. But she, I think she did hyphenate House Elf. She just, might have just... capitalized House Elf. Now that I think about it, but not consistently. It, it's, it's a problem. It's so annoying. So. Like, I, th I mean, I, I, I have to, I need to be, have like consistency at top across types of words. So I think when I write it, I think I do all of them lowercase, but, um, anyway, but it, it's one of those things, like when you're writing Harry Potter, you can come up with your own style guide and, and determine what you're going to do, but you need to be consistent in your own body of work. And that's the conversation I wind up having with people. You need to be consistent with yourself. Kira Marie, you can't capitalize atrium sometimes and not other times. And also, I don't understand why you would capitalize atrium at all, but you do. I know. <laughs> I know. There's no reason for it to be capitalized. No, really, there isn't. It's sort of like saying, you know, I'm going to go to the living room. <laughs> Let's go with capital L. Which living room is that? It's, it's, it's the capital one. The living room. The formal <laughs> living room. The, the, one with, the one with the plastic on the furniture, okay? And no TV. <laughs> the right, boring no one. Right? <laughs> the one where we're going to have a discussion about your consistency. <laughs> <laughs> Capital D discussion. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, I have that issue. Um, and I feel like it should be italicized if the other person isn't in the same location. It, it makes be. sense. Uh-huh. So um I feel like I should be doing it. And it's really irritating that I wasn't doing it the whole time and that I'm having to go back and fix it because I did it half the time. 
Yeah. I just stopped doing it because I was fucking it up. So I, I got one time I got my italicizing backwards. I was oh, like, how no. did I do that? How did I do that? How did I get the italics backwards? I have the person in the room italicized. I just don't understand myself. How did I miss that? You know, and it gets all the way onto my site like that. That's why I stopped because mm-hmm. I just couldn't it was even with myself. But yeah, sometimes I think it's a matter of also, I wanted to take closer inventory this year of what was going on with me and how that would impact me and my writing and what that would look like because I I feel like I got a big disconnect between me and my writing last year like a lot of I just it just and part of it was there's a lot of uh there's a lot of put one foot in front of the other in me you know it's like just keep going just keep going just keep going just keep going um and not stop and take stock of how are you how I'm feeling how I'm doing that kind of thing mm-hmm. and um, I think that that starts to have a negative impact on my ability to be creative and feel connected to the creative part of myself if I don't um, do like a little check-in um, and figure out how I feel what's going on that kind of thing so I guess part of the reason why I wanted for this year wanted to kind of reset and reassess every week um so that I could just kind of see kind of how I felt about things, you know, and um, so you know, and and be honest if if, if something wasn't making me happy, give myself um the option or the opportunity, not just the option, but give myself permission to get away from it. So, because sometimes you get into a project and it's not making you happy, but you feel locked in. I don't want to be in that position. I've talked to too many writers over the years where they are just, they are just dead set that they are going to be working on this and only this, and it's making them miserable. And I don't want to be in the position of where the project I have picked is making me miserable and I don't want to admit it. So. Yeah, that's why I gave myself permission years and years and years ago to have multiple works in progress. Because I do know people, authors, who um, bludgeon themselves with a work in progress. They will not move on from it, even if it takes a year to finish it. Um, Even if they are bursting with other ideas, they force themselves to work on a single project until they get it done, even when they're miserable. And the only reason to do that is if you've already cashed the check. Yeah. And then, you know, I talked to somebody about this, about, it feels like it was just two weeks ago, but I think it was probably more like two months ago, because I think it was before Thanksgiving. Um, And they were saying, well, if I don't stick with it, I won't get anything posted. And I'm like, so what? What, you know, just, it's a matter of why you really, if you really, you're not getting anything posted anyway. So what does it matter if you pivot to something else? Why stick with something you're miserable with? Um, the only reason I can think of possibly to go that route is if, well, actually, I still think it's, I still think there's better ways to handle it personally, is if having works in progress makes you anxious. Um, if that it's in and of itself is a source of anxiety for you, but that might be something that you need to look at how to handle in a different way because writers don't finish everything. What um, you could also do is create a separate folder in your writing file. Like you'll have a folder that's works in progress. And then you have a folder that's tabled. 
And so it's no longer considered a work in progress. You've taken this project that's not working for you out of your work in progress folder and you put it in another and it's tabled for the moment and it's no longer part of your work in progress pile. And what I did last year is that I had a very large work in progress for Harry Potter um, file. I mean, I had, I had, I have literally about 60 or 70 projects for Harry Potter in progress. Um, I couldn't actually give you an accurate number right now. But what I did was is I pulled out every single one of them that was Harmony and I tabled it. And I put them in a separate folder. And it's no longer in my work in progress folder. So when I open up my work in progress folder to look at what I've got going on, they're not there. They're, they're not pushing me, poking me, um, reminding me of a situation that I don't want to be reminded of. And so by tabling these projects, I, it was honestly, it was like a, a huge weight got lifted off my shoulders. I was like, oh, okay. Okay, fine. And then I tabled some other stuff because it felt so great. <laughs> I used to do that when I was younger, when I would have write down uh, stuff in notebooks, ideas and stuff. I would put them in a drawer if I didn't want to deal with them. So now I have a digital drawer. Yeah, I'm a recondo of my, my works in progress folder. <laughs> and it was really helpful. So if you're someone who finds the idea of the work in progress um, in your face stressful, create a different folder. Call it whatever the hell you want to call it. Call it the circular file. Yeah, um, you gotta, I mean, playing mental tricks with yourself is call just it part of Yeah, <laughs> you got to. Playing tricks, like, you got to come up with ways to get yourself through some things, right? Like, sometimes, and, you know, some people work really, really well when they take a big goal and they break it down into tiny pieces. Like, you've got a 50,000-word goal. You're going to write a 1,000 words a week. That's not actually, that's, you know, that's, like, what, 100, little less, less than 150 words a day. Um, yeah, it's very doable. So it is a that's a very doable to take, you know, you could if you started like in March on your quantum bang, you could be done by the next March in time for the art climbs, be done with your rough draft. So and that's writing 150 words a day. And so for some people, breaking things up into those teeny tiny pieces, that gets them through the big challenge. That does not work for everybody. And if you're somebody who really struggles with the the anxiety of having works in progress, like Kira said, find a different way to frame the work in progress. Call it, um, you know, tabled or call it, you know, hiatus or call it, a, you know, call it whatever you want to call it. And you could even give yourself some extensive notes about where you were thinking about going, why you're having a hard time working on it. Um, everything so that you understand where you were and why you put this aside. And none of that may be relevant when you come back to it next time. But you could just give yourself a little postmortem on this thing, write it up, move it into a different folder, and move on. Call it Fred. You could call it Fred. You could call it Mordor. You could call it Chad. <laughs> right? And, and that way, and if you only can have, if you're only allowed to have one work in progress at a time, at least give it, make it be something that you are happy to be working on. And not torturing yourself with because there's just I just don't see any point in 
it's one thing to be stalled out on a project for a little while, but I see people stall out on works in progress and they won't move on to anything else for literally years. Li years. And I, to me, even months is too long. But to be torturing yourself with a project you don't want to work on, and they say they got writer's block, I'm like, well, you've got project block. You need to. And like, but I can't. I can't have more than one work in progress. If I let myself, you know, I'll just have a. I'll have a million if I let myself have more than one. Well, so you put it in a drawer, and it's no longer a work in progress. If you're not actively working on it, it's not a work in progress. Right. So some of this is about how your own, what your own self-talk is. And what your own, your own self-talk is, is very important because negative self-talk will fuck you up. That is no joke. You can be your own worst enemy when it comes to goals and creativity. And, you know, I failed or I didn't meet my goals or, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, I see people particularly get really down on themselves because they feel like they can't, they can't come up with ideas. Or I can't come up with any ideas for this, you know, and I'm like, well, but the thing is, the thing I've, one of the things I've noticed is the people who tend to seem to be the most rich with coming up with ideas are the ones who are actively writing and interacting with writers on a regular basis. So the more I think you isolate and the more you cut yourself off from the writing, I think the less those ideas, it could be that might be why sometimes the ideas start to dry up. So you got to give yourself permission to write and stop telling yourself that you're a failure. You know, that the things we tell ourselves are really, really important. And you can't allow any of that negativity to, to slip in. But, you know, and it's not, on the other hand, it's not negative to put some discipline in your writing practice. Um, man, there have been some people that I've worked with. It's like, they're, it was like, it's like the exact opposite. It's like everything that, that was problematic about their process related to lack of discipline. It's like they are starting a new project, you know, three different projects a day. They focus on nothing. Um, you know, and no, I would not consider my, my drawer position for that, um, permission to do that because it, it is that, that, that in itself becomes a very negative headspace because you yeah. start to devalue all of your words and you, and, and your ideas stop having, um, impact, I think for you and your reader. Because you're not investing in them, but in but choosing to invest wisely, both your time and your mental energy is um, is key. And acknowledging when an idea is not working for you in the moment and setting it aside, putting it away for later. Don't throw it away. Put it away. Is I think probably one of the most valuable lessons I learned as a young writer. But doing that digitally for myself last year was really helpful because when I opened up my work in progress folder the next day it was it felt really manageable and comfortable and nothing in it stressed me out and it's been a long time probably the better part of 15 years where I could have said that either in fandom or professionally where there was nothing in my work in progress folder that was a source of stress. I need to know what I was doing to myself. 
Sometimes I need to clean up my work in progress folder, but man, it's just, this is not, but this is not the, I don't see that happening until April. Um, <laughs> but I mean, just, just the act of moving some of those things out of the way was, was really helpful. And if you only have one work in progress and you've been working on it for six months, baby, give yourself a break. Now, you know, you've got to, your, your writing does need to bring you joy. It needs to make you, um, you need to find happiness in it. It doesn't mean you have to write fluffy bunny stuff. You just have to find happiness in what you're doing. It has to, it has to delight you in some way. And if it doesn't, then maybe work on something else. And if that's a hard thing for you to do, you got to find the trick in your mind that allows you to do that. Whatever it is that will allow you to give yourself permission to find something else to work on. If you're the opposite end of the spectrum where you are all over the place, you know, and you don't have any discipline in your writing practice, maybe you need to figure out what it will, what will allow you to put some discipline in place because everything's a balance, right? And think, when things are out of balance, it's always whacked. I'm going to be honest, Rogue. I think that's a mistake. I don't think you understand the physicality required to write on a stone tablet. <laughs> Just going to put that out there for you. I mean, first you got to make the stone tablet because they're not, it, you're not going to be able to source one. <laughs> and then you're going to need to get some tools. You'll need a Dremel. Yeah. You'll probably need a chisel. You'll need a hammer. Um, and after you've constructed the stone tablets, then you're going to have to carry them around with you. And, it's, and that's really difficult. Do you have a cart? Do you have a donkey? <laughs> I think you're going to need a donkey. I think she's right. I think we, well, we, we at least used to. Do we still have a tablet a channel called that? Uh, I think we got rid of stone tablets. Yeah. We did used to have a, a, a channel called stone tablets for people who like to. Right by longhand. And we do have a few longhand people. Rogue is one. Lady Holder is mostly a longhand writer, I think. Um, I have a Dremel it, for my nails. <laughs> but I would not be able to create a stone tablet out of it. <laughs> you, you, you could get some paving stones from Home Depot. But I think you have to be really careful with your chisel because you might crack them. But, I mean, Harmonic's right. It, that would be a good workaround if you want an actual stone tablet as you could... I think clay tablets would be a little. No, those would be really brittle. Mm. Oh, you mean you mean unbaked clay? Um, that but that would be a completely different experience. That's like you would use completely different tools. You would need some kind of really sturdy stick, or you know, maybe a really big pen. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. I mean. Well, they, I mean, they have clay. You just need sculpting tools. I mean, if you're an artist and you want to. But. Stylus. I mean, your your body of work would be huge. <laughs> I mean, but I think the point that Rogue was making is that sometimes you have to go back to what your basics are. And if you're somebody who there, your, your core is to write by a long hand, then maybe that is. What when you're having a hard time, you go back to what the core of you is: notebooks. Um, I tend to do notes and plotting on notebooks, but I do too. I don't write fast enough physically to keep up with my brain. Yeah, I don't either. It, it's 
not not in any kind of legible way. Even even at a fraction of the speed of my brain, it's like I can't read that. I don't have any idea what I just said. Now sometimes <laughs> like sometimes if I'm out, I don't have a way to sit down and type, and I really want to get a scene out of my head. I have like done longhand, written a scene longhand. I've done that. I don't particularly enjoy it because it feels like a really slow, pedantic way to write. And often what I wind up doing is just capturing the dialogue. Yeah. I can make notes, do plots, talk about themes to myself on paper. Yeah. I switched to using a, um, it's sort of a, it's sort of the poor man's remarkable, but I switched to using rocket books recently for this. I'm really digging it. It's really working for me. Um, It'll keep me from having to have an archive of um, notebooks. I'll have an archive of scans instead. Um, What's a rocket book? Rocket book, they're basically sort of like reusable notebooks. They use those pilot friction pens with them and you just get use a damp microfiber towel to wipe them off. Mm-hmm. So there's like 20 pages in or 20 to 40 pages in a notebook. And you pick the notebook style you want. Um, and um, I've plotted two things on something and I, I then, and I, there's like, eight destinations you mark at the bottom and you can each destination you can code where it um uh there's a solution for that claire Uh, i'll tell you a minute but there's a destinations you can code in at the bottom um and like some of them that i have coded are like automatic let off to do this like like there's one destination that is goes to my email one destination that puts it in google drive one destination that puts it in google drive and ocrs it um but um, it's not available on Rocketbook right now, Claire, but my sister backed the Rocketbook Orbit, and um, it is a much better solution, I think, for a notebook replacement because it has a pen dock. It has, um, they're saying as soon as they get all their Kickstarters, we got our in already, but as soon as they get all their Kickstarters um, shipped out, they're going to have them listed in the Rocketbook store. Um, and those are, and then there's a case also for the Rocketbook Orbit that also has two pen places. So that winds up, you wind up with three places to put pens in the Rocketbook Orbit case. So um, keep an eye out for the Rocketbook Orbit. Um, well, I mean, you can still use, um, I mean, I don't use them for everything. But I've actually switched to using them for a lot of things. And I actually just, it, it's been really nice to not have, to not feel like, I mean, just like in a very short period of time, I feel like I've migrated away from paper that I'm going to throw away. It, it was a really easy then, do I want to keep this note or not? If I do want to keep the note, I just take a picture of it and it sends it off to whatever destination I have marked at the bottom of the page. And if I don't want to keep it, I just erase the page so it's um it's almost like a they almost like tried to i mean eventually i'm sure it's going to wear out but uh, there's some pages i've i've erased 20 30 times already so i'm digging it though i mean it's kind of like like i said it's kind of like the poor man's remarkable um i had a remarkable for a while my problem with the remarkable was the form factor um um I'm very curious about this. I might get me one. What? The the rocket book. Yeah, they have they even have some little ones. Um Yeah, that the, that is for the regular rocket book. Um 
I'm just, you'd have to look up the Rocket Book Orbit on Kickstarter. I think that's the only place you can see them. Um, and it looks a little bit more like a um, like a notepad and a and a clipboard had a baby. And there is a case that you can add on. Um, now, in the pictures on Kickstarter, they show at the bottom, but the actual the dock, the pen dock, is at the top. Here, I'll send you the orbit, and the orbit the orbit is not available. But there's a folio cover for the orbit that has like two pen places and places to sleep pockets to put extra page packs in. And um, one of the biggest complaints people had about the soft sided notebooks is that eventually the pages get kind of bent a little bit. And the orbit has a like it's a rigid back. So um, and also I like they have two two sizes, letter and executive letter. I don't like a full size page. So for me, the executive size is absolutely perfect. Um, but what that was my issue with the Remarkable was the form factor was too big. It was this enormous thing that I was trying to write on. And I'm used to executive size notebooks. So I just couldn't, I spent like, I don't know, a week and a half with it trying to write on it. And it, it actually is a very nice writing experience. It does everything they say it's going to do. I just could not get adjusted to. It was like this giant thing. I was lugging around to take notes. I'm like, why is this thing so big? Um, it doesn't slip easily into your bag because it's so big to me. And it's like, I mean, I it's bigger than my it's bigger than my iPad. I mean, that was just like, no, I'm not gonna run. You know, it, I couldn't. If I'm gonna take notes on something that that's that size, I'm gonna take it on my iPad. So that became a kind of a no for me. Um, but yeah, and it's weird. And actually, since we're talking about technology and stuff, sometimes technology in a weird way can become its own sort of derailer or disappointment in your writing process. Um, I got a, um, I backed a, um, a <laughs> they call it sort of like a, a smart typewriter thing, like, back in 2018 it was supposed to ship in 2019 and uh they were running way behind they had tons of stuff it was called the free write traveler it's a second generation because there's already a free write which was the first smart typewriter yeah yeah or arite the price point is ridiculous right but i backed it on kickstarter it was like 389 dollars when i backed it i was an early backer i think i backed it in like june of 2018 things running late and we get into 2019 it's the, and the thing is i am so looking forward to this thing i had such such high expectations i was like this thing is going to be a game changer for me this was in my head this is my headspace about it that i would have this compact device that was a mechanical keyboard which is my preferred typing experience so no hand fatigue and I could slip it into my bag and have it with me anywhere it's got a long battery life and I could write anytime I wanted so I had this really high expectation hyped up for this thing and so every time they hit a delay I was super disappointed and then we get into 2020 and we got all of the 2020 related delays over and over it and mind you they were supposed to ship long before 2020 came along so you know, they just hit delay after delay after delay. Well, finally, November um, hits and everybody was hoping, they were really hoping they'd get them out in time for Nano, but they actually got started shipping them, I think, like the end of the first week of November. I get mine. 
And yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And I know some people like it. It was instant hate. I mean, I have never, I don't think, I don't think I've instantly hated anything so much in my entire life. Um, it was, it would have been the biggest impediment to my writing process that I could pause. It, it is so contrary to the way I write. Everything about it was just, and it, I, I think that the disappointment of how off that experience was for me, how awful that device was for me, because it might be great for somebody else, but it sucked for me. Um, it really, it really messed with my head a little bit because I had such high expectations of it. Um, it is a nice typing experience, the keyboard itself. It actually is a, pretty much a full-size keyboard. It's bigger than it looks. Um, it is pretty much close to a full-size keyboard. So think of that, what you're seeing there, that width as a full, full-size keyboard, and that's how big it is. Um, but, it is it, but it is very slim. But it is, it is both, there was both a, both a technological issue for me, which was lag. Um, it, it has quite a bit of lag. Um, between what you type and what you see, which they say for most people, it's one to two letters. I type fast. For me, it was one to two words. It drove me bonkers. And I, I wrote them and asked them why. And they said it's a function of the e-ink display that this, um, that this, that there's a lag. That's just the way e-ink works. Which when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that is the way e-ink works. Because if you ever typed a note on your Kindle, your e-ink Kindle, it is mm. slow as fuck to appear. Okay. So e-ink is not the fastest, the most responsive display. When you think about how your page repaints when you change pages on your Kindle, it's pretty quick, but it's not instant. So I was like, but why? And they did that for battery life because they don't have an illuminated backlit thing. Right. And um, the e-ink takes less battery, just like on your Kindle. And I'm like, so you guys made a trade-off for battery life. And you gave up, you gave up performance on the display. On the display, you have a high-performance keyboard that is marketed. It has serves no function other than to be a raw writing device, and believe me, very raw, um, a very raw, rough writing device. And you're marketing it to writers. Ostensibly, many of them are going to be good typists. And you thought lag in the display was a good choice. Okay, well, I guess it's going to work for the 20 words per minute typists out there or the people who really just noodle over every word, but whatever. I would, it, it did for me. I, I just, it, it was like, it was like a death blow to me, but I was like, okay, I've, this thing is, the price point of this thing is $600. I paid almost 400 for it. And, um, I'm sitting there thinking, I got to give it a shot, right? I got to give this thing a shot. I, I mean, I was, I was like internally devastated that this thing that I had built up to be so monumental to my writing was such a dud, an expensive dud at that. I'm going to just throw that out there because there's nothing worse than an expensive dud. <laughs> a give me a cheap dud anytime. That's why I like the Orbit, you know, the Rocket Book. It's a fairly cheap dud. If it didn't work out, it was a cheap dud. <laughs> Comparatively speaking, $16, dollars $20, $25. It's a cheap dud. Anyway, so I start, I write, decide to write with it, right? Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the 
there's no way to there's no real easy way to navigate within your own document right not even to go back a line or two because mm -hmm. there's no arrow keys so they have a function arrow key so like you can press a function key and then like press a key on your keyboard and that that is the arrow key it's like soft arrow key but they're on the wrong side of the keyboard anytime you have a function arrow key like that it's on the right side of the keyboard they put theirs on the left so you're navigating your arrow keys your soft arrow keys are on the left side of the keyboard which is so counterintuitive to me for navigation and it's slow so remember the lag the lag also is when you're arrowing up to go up a few lines that lag also happens so you press the arrow key a couple of times and you're going to get lag so I quickly got frustrated with trying to go back a line or two and change a word. No. And they say it's not an editing device. It's a writing device. And, and they're very clear about that. But it's not even really a writing device because to me, writing is sometimes going back a paragraph and changing the way a character said something or going back to the prior paragraph and, you know, inserting this little bit or that's writing to me. That's not editing. Right. That's that's writing is getting that, you know, going, oh, I need this, you know, and putting it in. It's making so, my soul hurt. Anybody else? <laughs> so I start just I, all of a sudden I'm leaving myself notes. That's how, that's the only way I can handle the frustration of writing on this thing. And the, the navigation issues is leaving myself notes. I put in like brackets and go be sure to go up to this scene and have this character do this instead, or be sure to change this character's response to this, to this. And I wrote 2,500 words on the device and about 600 of those words were cues to myself about what to change in the 2,500 words I'd written. I was so aggravated. I was so aggravated. It does auto sync to your destination. So you also aren't really, and I wouldn't trust to just work on a single document, right? So you're basically creating piecemeal parts that you're going to stitch together later. So I wouldn't just, I wouldn't count on being able to just pick up the same file and keep working on it over and over. I guess you could, but the idea is you're going to pick that up and edit it elsewhere, right? And it is, it does auto sync to, in my case, I had it syncing to Google Drive. Um, so it does auto sync there. Um, but once this is you actually just super frustrating because years ago, I'm talking years ago, maybe like um, 2001 or 2002, I had a Dana that used, um, God, what was that operating system? Oh. Like, it was the same operating system, I think, for BlackBerry, maybe? Maybe. Like BlackBerry and Palm and that kind of stuff? It was Palm. It was a Palm device. And I could type over 100 words a minute on it. Now, that was in 2001 on a Dana. Um, you can look, you can Google that. It was a keyboard. It was, it was basically a keyboard with a tiny little screen on it. And I could do over a hundred words a minute on minute on it, and it was yeah, it it um it had a Palm operating system, and I could, uh, it had a wireless connection. Yeah, exactly, Ellie. And I could send my document to Word. And twenty years later, literally twenty years later, and this is what we got. And my data cost two hundred bucks. Yeah, for six hundred <laughs> bucks, and. And the thing is that this thing was like, 
I, from a process perspective, it wasn't even, I, I thought the tech, the lag would have been the worst part, but for me, actually, it was the process. It was the writing my story in little tiny increments that I stitched back, stitched together. And then I have, and my editing would have not just like doubled or tripled. I'm talking like 5X the editing because I had 600 words of go fix this because I couldn't go back a few lines and and change a character's dialogue. You know, change a word here, change a word there. And I didn't want to forget it. So I had 600 words of cues to myself of, to go back and fix shit. I'm like, this is, this is going to, would destroy my writing productivity. Now, like I said, it may work for other people, but other people's writing process are, is different, but I know myself well enough and my writing process works just fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, there's nothing wrong with going, oh, I should have, I should have had, I should have rephrased that a little bit so that, that this character can react in a slightly different way and going back and fixing it. There's nothing wrong with that process. It's, that's writing to me. So I wrote a nano on my Dana and I think our process is actually pretty similar. I will move back up through a paragraph and say, okay, well th this actually doesn't work and I'll delete it. And I wrote a nano on my Dana doing that. And now granted it was a small screen and you can see the, uh, the, the, the picture. I think it ended up being like eight lines at a time, but it had arrow keys and you could arrow up and down really quickly because it was palm and palm was fast as fuck because it used like zero resources. Yeah. I mean, it was one step up from DOS, but it was great. And I just don't understand how 20 years later, the experience could be so much less satisfying for three times the money. I mean, it's just, it's, it's honestly just shocking. So I, I was like, this, and so I had to, I went, I realized really quickly, this doesn't work for me. This, this, and I'm not willing to put any more time and frustration into a process that does not is not going to work for me. I don't want it to work for me. And also when I was typing, I realized I've been a touch typist since I was 12. Folks, that's 36 years. Um, and the only way I could handle typing on this device with its weird lag issues was to watch my hands. Oh God. I couldn't look at the screen because it drove me crazy. I, I, the disconnect between not seeing what I was typing on the screen I was like, oh my God, night jeep. Um, so I decided, the thing is, because I bought it through crowdfunding, it's not like it's something I could return, even if I knew right away that I hated it. Um, so I sold it on eBay. And I got almost what I paid for it out of it. But then, um, you know, it's like one of those things where, you know, with all the eBay and PayPal fees and stuff, of course I lost money. But, you know, this was money I spent two and a half years ago. So I got some of it back. <laughs> anyway, um, the point of all that was, is I had built this whole technology of this. It was going to be a really big boon to my writing process. And believe it or not, the disappointment about that and the time I invested into trying to make it work and stuff, it really fucked me up. Um, and I had been trying, there, there were some technological problems in my writing process that I had been trying to solve. And I don't still have a real good clear clear solution for those problems. So I think I just let the frustration kind of get the best of me in November with that whole device. Um, <laughs> not yet, Claire. <laughs> Poor. <clears throat> and I sold it to a Canadian too, so that I feel bad for. <laughs> <laughs> She's so nice. Um, too polite to tell you um, to uh, um, to curse you out for for, for what she paid for. Right. This thing sucks. Uh, but 
it's weird. It's like sometimes I think you would kind of build an experience or <laughs> dark. <laughs> but we have some we get like we we get whether it's a a challenge or a, a writing class or a piece of technology. Sometimes we build something up as being bigger than it is, and then that disappointment of that can be kind of crushing. And then sometimes it's like, or you get into it and it, when it comes also to fandom, sometimes you get into a new fandom and you're just really excited and jazzed and you want to write in this new fandom. And then it turns out it's really toxic and that, that disappointment, any of these things can throw you. And um, I think it's really important. And I will say, I didn't do this. I didn't retreat back to my peeps and say, I'm really struggling. My I'm, I'm struggling writing wise. This is the, this is the problem I'm having. I don't know how to solve it. Um, and part of the problem I'm having with my writing process is that I'm stuck in the house. But anyway, um, that's, yeah. not a very, that's not a very solvable. That's not a problem anybody can really solve for me, right? But sometimes, on the other hand, sometimes the issue is sometimes when we get stuck and we think a problem is unsolvable, it's not actually unsolvable. It's just some, not see the forest for the trees. It, you know, it, it, that is a thing. Um, but I do think we've talked before about the importance of the writing community and your, your fellow writers. And I do think that that's really important to retreat to, to, to connect with that when you're struggling with disappointment or you're struggling with those challenges or you're struggling with feeling like you're failing or whatever and go to that community that you've built, the one that you have faith in, the one that you're confident in and and say, hey, I need some support. Um, because I mean, that that's what, I think that's what's gonna pull, help pull you out sometimes. And I think that that for me many times over, you know, the last decade has been just invaluable um, to, to keep me going as a writer at times when life is really difficult. And I just would really, and, and that, that the thing about the free write was just an example of just like getting just like colossally disappointed over something and just not rebounding from it. Well, um, you know, what can that, happen? I mean, it could happen sometimes. Honestly, it's like there's so much stress outside of our process that the smallest thing in our process could be the fucking straw, right? It's just like, I don't have a new notebook. My ink pen's out of ink. My computer took two hours to reboot because fucking Microsoft updated. I'm going to bed. <laughs> just, I'm done. Right? <laughs> I'm going to sleep 12 hours and start again tomorrow. You're right, Claire. It did not free my writing. It hindered it. Um, <laughs> and it was expensive. So it was neither helpful nor cheap. I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather a cheap, a cheap fuck up, you know, especially not one I've been waiting over two years for. That was, you know, it's like, I think the longer, the more time I had to build it up in my brain. It was like, eh. Um, and I had, you know, I had this idea. I'm going to just write my chapters on this thing and then sync to my computer and I'll download it and, you know, give it a quick once over and then post it. <laughs> you know, every time I sent you my Dana, I'll find it in a box somewhere. 
<laughs> I mean, if I had written a full chapter of my no, my nano on that thing, I would have then had had to spend like double the time trying to get it into postable shape because everybody been like, what is all this crap? You know, go back. Tony didn't say this or, you know, go up two more lines. It's like, what is this? I, there's, I could not put I me. Mean, rough trade is a rough draft challenge, but not that rough. <laughs> It's not even, this wasn't even a rough draft. This was a, I don't know what the fuck you would call that. It was. Uh, a summary it was, of a summary. It was, it was writing interspersed with a bunch of notes about how you wished you could change what you already wrote, but you can't. I'll be like calling her. Hey, did you hit your head? Can I talk to your sister? <laughs> I think she hit her head. <laughs> I'm just sure urgent care clothes. Um. So, but, and sometimes, and I see people, like, I had a friend who took a writing class with, I don't remember, remember who the author was, but it was an author she thought would be great, and then she said the author was just, like, a bitch, and um, gave really shitty advice, and she was just, like, she just thought it was going to be this real boon to her creativity, and it was just a real big letdown, and um, I think sometimes we build things up too big in our minds, it's going to be, like, this big, great thing, or people have told us it's going to be this wonderful thing. And then it's, it doesn't work. It just feels like, well, why doesn't it work for me? You know, why didn't this writing advice work for me? And sometimes you just got to, sometimes just voicing it, say, I'm really disappointed. <laughs> I'm really disappointed <laughs> that I spent $400 on this thing and it sucks. <laughs> and I had to sell it on eBay and send it to Canada. <laughs> yes. And then there's that. But, and the thing is, and the funny thing is, I'm seeing all these five-star reviews, people are how wonderful it is. And I'm like, how, what is wrong with you people? No, you, you're not actually, and the thing is, I'm seeing like, you know, like comments from like, uh, there's reviews in magazines and stuff. I'm like, you're not actually writers. I can tell. Uh, shut up. I mean, if it was actually inexpensive, we could have passed it around and did a real round robin with it. Yeah. Here <laughs> comes the weird thing. <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> Write your sentence. You got a week. <laughs> There's a strange device. You can't go back. <laughs> so it was for me, it was like, why am I, why am I the weirdo here who thinks this device is strange? And it's like not intuitive that this has anything to do with writing. Um, it's almost more of a get your thoughts out of your head kind of thing. It might be more. Yeah, but journal. twenty words a minute. Who could? Who? The... I don't know. I could not even plot on that. No, I mean it. It would get. I mean, I just can't deal with it being that far behind. It just. Now it it was kind of steadily behind. Like it it didn't like it further and further and further behind. So for me, it got kind of was steadily behind. But it was just like. Those are not the words I'm typing. And, you know, I would, I would, so I started watching my hands and I'd look at the screen and I'd watch the last two words appear and I'd be like, oh, God. So, I mean, like I said, it might be more of a journaling, getting your thoughts out of your head tool, but I just don't understand. Maybe there are some people who don't go back and revise a sentence or whose writing process is just, you know, kind of getting it out as fast as they can and moving on. That's just, I mean, I feel like I get my rough draft out pretty quick, but it's not literally just vomiting it out on the page and then moving on. Well, there's I just... a difference between micro-editing and actually writing. 
I don't micro edit, but there is a an organic process when you're writing of moving moving around in your document. One of the best things about um, Microsoft Word for me is that I can create uh, chapter titles, so I can move up and down my document with the navigation pane. Right. So if I know something happened in chapter one, I want to review it. I just hit chapter one in my navigation pane. It pops me all the way back up to the top of my document. And that I can, you know, and sometimes I'll mark off a, a particular scene that's a problem, a problem for me with a title tag so that it will show up in my navigation pane so that I can, I can go back to it as I'm rearranging my um, story. And it, that's really more of an editing tool for me. But being able to move up and down my document um, it's just part of my process as a writer. It's not micro-editing. And there is a big difference between the act of writing and the act of micro-editing. Yeah. For me, Because, anyway. I mean, because sometimes, like, what I'll do, where for me, the it's to give, like, a case example. It's like, let's say I have, like, Tony arriving at a crime scene, right? And I'm writing. And he, not and I have him notice Steve McGarrett there, okay? He sees Steve. Mm -hmm. And then I get three or I'm four. I'm locking this already. <laughs> so I get three or four lines later, and um, they're about to talk. And right at that moment when they're about to talk, I realize it would be better for that next line of dialogue if Tony hasn't noticed Steve. And that it tactically was a bad choice to have him already notice Steve. Mm -hmm. It is not micro-editing, in my opinion, to go back and make that change in the document and then proceed with my scene with that change in mindset. Okay, it's better if he didn't see him, if he didn't notice him already. Okay, so I've made that not change. Not to the disbelief is in Australia, because how could you fucking not notice him? <laughs> He's behind a palm tree or something. He has me. to be behind a palm tree. <laughs> that You're, gorgeous you know, bastard. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he was surfing. I don't know. But anyway, let's just Wait, say he didn't notice He's half naked? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with half naked and surfing. Okay, so. It's getting better and better. <laughs> anyway, so it's better for the scene if he ne just now notices him. So I go back and I make the change, right? And then I proceed. This way I don't have a continuity error in my document, right? If I just leave it and go, oh, I'll fix it later, there's a chance that I won't remember to fix it later. Odds are, now odds are, because I read my documents very carefully, odds are I will notice it and I will fix it. But that's not 100%. I don't like to, I don't like to gamble on a big continuity error like that. So it's better for me just to quickly go back and fix it, adjust the line where he noticed him, and then move on. It's not micro-editing. It's just I, I decided to tweak how that scene was approached. I can't, no, okay. do that on this, I can't do that on this device. So I, I have to leave a note for myself. Fix the continuity area where Tony noticed Steve when he first arrived at the crime scene. It's... <sighs> And so, so, so to me now, I've I've like quadrupled my editing burden. Um, in a way that editing shouldn't be burdened, and also I've my writing is not as smooth because I feel like I'm way out of my natural rhythm. It just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. Um, for those it works for, I'm glad it worked for them. I know that there are a few people who've bought them already that are on the right just right server who who have enjoyed writing with them. I think that's wonderful if it works for you. It's not the way I write intuitively. And I've been happy writing the way I write. So um, 
So I just I just wasn't prepared to I would and I I didn't want it to be a paperweight a six hundred dollar paperweight so I sold it. Well, I sold I it also. Go ahead. I sold it while there was I sold I sold it while there was no inventory right like they're still shipping the Kickstarter orders and people want them so I was like well there's actually demand for this thing I'm going to sell it. Good idea actually. Um, I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> it's totally gone. <laughs> All these things. Some people talk about it being so safe they can't find it again, and your thought is so safe you can't find it again. <laughs> it's totally gone. I mean, uh, to be fair, you technically can go back in the document and make those changes, but the f it is so frustrating and time-consuming to do it that I wouldn't. It's faster to leave myself a note by a significant margin. I mean, if you're not someone who types very fast, or if you're someone who, there's a point in my writing process where I will be writing at such a pace that I'm not consciously choosing my words. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not, and, and, and if you don't do that, if you, if you are someone who consciously chooses every word that you write, then I imagine this device would work perfectly for you. And actually, I know somebody like that. I, I know somebody like that, yeah. But also, sometimes when I'm writing, my vision for how I've planned the scene, it, it's like that saying we talked about several times, you know, no no, no battle plan survives, you know. Engagement. Right. Um, for me, I'll have an idea for the scene, and then once I've started writing, I go, oh, I hadn't considered I really need to, you know, do blah. Some people don't do that. Some people just really have a, they have the vision, they stick to the vision. Maybe they're better at plotting than I am. I mean, I don't know. But sometimes I get to write and I go, oh, that kind of is clunky. Or, you know, it, it just, the scene needs to change and then I need to back up. And I just, it's a, a, a very expensive tool that, that is a, is a, is, becomes an, basically a creative albatross. Um, it had to go. So it did, and uh, but it, it's just it's just an example of things that can, and it, it shouldn't have been as big a deal as it was. I don't think because um, you think, why is this? You know, why should the fact that the device wasn't that big? You know, why did that throw you off so bad? I think because because I had it was it was a, let's look it was a tough year, and there was a lot of other problems um, at the same time. Um, and and it felt uh, like a present because you'd paid for it so long ago. Yeah, and it's something I had just thought was going to be really a great, like a real boon in my writing process. And it wasn't. It was like, it was like an anchor around my neck. Um, it was like this is not. This is not good. Oh, um, I remember what I was going to say. What okay. I was going to say is I figured out quite a while ago that a device like a Dana or that free write um, would never work for me. Um, and my Kindle fire works for me only in a pinch because it has an internet browser. I am one of those people that if I come across a moment in my writing where I need to put something factual in it, I need to be able to stop and look it up. I can't leave a placeholder. And so not having the internet 
can actually throw me completely out of my writing headspace. Because if I need to know, like, if I can put a body in a pinto, and you can, but it's difficult and it depends on their size, um, I need to look at, I need to be able to look it up. <laughs> Some things you gotta check right then. Yeah, research, they talk about um, that one of the big perks is distraction-free writing. Um, but I don't have a problem being, I don't, I mean, for me, the, I mean, they're talking about notifications and that kind of thing. But the, you know, to me, the issue there is if you don't want to be distracted by Facebook, turn off Facebook. Just close right. the tab. I mean, it's, to me, that's not. But, I mean, for some people, they, I guess they can't not look at Facebook and Twitter if they're on something that's internet enabled that will allow them to. So, I mean, if that's, if that's a problem for you and you're somebody who is very um, into... Um, and you're very careful about the words you choose, and maybe you type a little bit slower than I do, maybe that kind of device will be great for you. I will say the keyboard is very nice. It's a Cherry MX um, Red. Uh, so it's a quiet mechanical keyboard. It's got a very nice, uh, soft mechanical press. It's not clicky. It's not tactile, but it is. Um, I love a clicky. I have to have a clicky. I do like the clicky. I think they went with the Cherry MX Red because they wanted to be, I guess, considerate because people are going to be using these in public and they didn't want to, you know. Yeah pollution but it is a, it is a kind of a very soft press kind of feel um so it is a very nice keyboard but no uh i would it would i would get nothing written on that nothing i mean unless i'm writing a bunch of 1000 word shorts and then i you know would spend three times longer editing them than i did writing them i just, I just no it doesn't sound appealing to me at all no it, it was it was a dud um but you know, sometimes you find something that works perfectly in your writing process. And when you do, grab onto it, hold on to it. Like Lady Holder's got like her magic pen thing. It works great for her. I tried the magic pen thing. It does work well, but I don't write longhand. So I don't know why I thought that was going to be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I enjoy the activity of physically writing, which is a lot of times why I'll plot on paper or do like my brainstorming on paper. Um. But the actual idea of writing my story in a notebook is insane to me. Bob, it's probably because when I decided I was a writer or when I acknowledged that part of me that I was going to be writing, that I was going to do this, um, one of the first things I did was ask for a typewriter. Yeah. Well, I was... Um... My mom worked for a company that gave her a computer at home when I was 12. So that was 1985, um, which was way before most people had computers at home. I know there's some youngins who are what past their bedtime um, who, you know, can't conceive of not having a computer at home. But, you know, nobody had computers at home in 85. So we were, you know, we had a, we had a computer at home. And I, one of the first things I started using was typing, you know, those typing games. Um, had little letters falling from the top of the screen, and you had to mm -hmm. zap. Um, so I was a touch typist really quickly, uh, and I've done all almost all my writing in my life—not all, but almost all my writing in my life—with um, two hands on a keyboard. That's the way I think when I'm writing. My brain it just engages differently um, with two hands than it does with a pen. Pen, but but still, I but I. I plot, I do, I plot better with a pen paper. So, I mean, it's just a function, I think, of how you learn, how your brain gets wired. Um, my first computer experience was, it was MS-DOS. 
Um, and then I remember in high school, we got um, uh, somebody donated a Mac lab to our high school. So we got Macs. Um, apples, yeah. Um, it was first generation, I think. Like, like very new. It was like amazing. We, we, we were so thrilled with it. And then in college, we um, I hit my first Windows machine. Now, I had a MS-DOS computer at home that my uncle had bought but didn't like, and he gave it to me. And it was, the computer was so old, it actually used cassette tapes. I had a Buck Rogers game on a cassette tape. I loved it. <laughs> and I did, but I didn't write on it because the computer was in the living room. And I writing was a very private process for me um, at that point in my life. Um, I didn't let anybody look at my writing. And so I wrote strictly in my room on my brother typewriter. And then in college, I moved from the typewriter to the computer. So, but um, writing longhand, if I, I, I find the idea um, agonizing, actually, because my hand could not handle it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think I had a computer where the first one was DOS, but it very quickly got upgraded with Windows I mean, I remember having Windows 1, which came out in 85 at some point. Um, but we spent most of the time, I mean, Windows 3.1, a long time in computer years. Um, and then I think after Windows 3.1 was Windows 95. <laughs> Claire, I remember that year. Who needs a whole gig of storage? That's ridiculous. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean it only has a terabyte? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> so I, th I think how you're, I mean, so it's like how you're, how you've all, how you learned, how you first started writing is probably impactful into how you choose to write now. Um, you know, do you engage, does that creative part of your brain engage when you've got a pen in your hand, you know, or does it engage when you've got your hands at the keyboard? And, and I'm talking about the writing, not the, not the plotting, because like I said, I, I definitely plot better on paper. Um, but it's and when you're when you're looking at like what your process is going to be and what advice works for you and all that kind of stuff. It's really important to think about what kind of writer you are, and like Kira mentioned earlier, figure out the right kind of writer you aspire to be, and then look at making goals and changes and finding processes and tools and advice that will take you in that direction. Um, like you know. Like Kira said, and recently, I don't remember what channel you said the primary adverbs out of my cold dead hands, um, right? I mean, don't come for me, Stephen King. I know how you there, feel. There is some good advice in buried in the no adverbs thing, but it's not no adverbs, right? The good advice is actually that overuse of ly adverbs over not not any use but overuse creates a case of like you over modifying everything and but also it, the overuse of any word creates a problem in your narrative right it, it said. you can use said fucking all day long okay <laughs> said you know some, but even but even some things can start to become if you're not phrasing your if you're not wording things well even words that are generally kind of invisible if i'm noticing a word that should be invisible then something's phrased badly right yeah but um but generally some words like he and people's names and said those should just be kind of like invisible asked um but when, when it comes to words like slightly or 
I, especially the word slightly. He moved slightly. I, I, there's some writers who everything is slightly. It's like they want to modify everything. And when everything is modified, nothing is modified. It's like nothing has any impact because everything is over-described. So it's like everything the character did was slightly. And it's like, you got to take like 90% of these slightlys out. Why is everything a slight move or turning slightly or tipping their head slightly? Why can't they just fucking tip their head? Why is it slightly tipping their head? So, but th so there is some good advice in there that overuse of ly adverbs can be problematic in your narrative for a lot of reasons. Um, repetition, just repetition, can be a problem with pace, but also it could becomes a point of where the word itself ceases to mean anything when you overuse it. Um, and then you start to question your spelling, and you have to get on Google and look it up. And yes, Google, that's exactly what I meant. Thank you. But why does right. that look wrong? <laughs> Because you've used it 50 times. And then when you've got Grammarly pointing out this word's been used a lot in this document. It's like, like fuck you, Grammarly. Thanks, Grammarly. My antecedent um, is not unclear. Yeah, my antecedents are just fine. But Grammarly is often right about those squinting modifiers. So do not ignore Grammarly when it tells you you've got a squinting modifier because they're probably not wrong. Yeah. Sometimes wrong, but not all. But more, more often than not, Grammarly is right about the squinting modifiers. Um and that's usually a case of an L-Y adverbs in the wrong place. Just, just saying. Um, but anyway, so uh, you get advice and people take these, you know, whether it's advice or a class or whatever, you, you take it on board and it doesn't work, right? You're like, well, you know, but my narrative feels really dry without any adverbs. Well, <laughs> it is a little dry without any adverbs. Because Even Stephen King actually uses adverbs. He's just made a conscious choice to take his L-Y adverbs out. Um, he he can't get rid of all adverbs. That's ridiculous. Um, but people make these absolute pithy kind of advice statements, and and then people take that on board very seriously. And but that may not. And maybe if, if that's the writer you want to be, you want to be very stripped down, and you don't want you want your narrative to be very you know kind of brusque. That's fine. Maybe maybe he's a good writer for you to try to kind of focus on his style and his writing advice. He's got some really good writing advice. Don't get me wrong. It's just, you got to be careful about how you take that on board because he's not the kind of writer I aspire to be. So I think that's where it's really important to understand who you want to be. What, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And then also understand where you are now. But never take advice on writing from George R.R. R. Martin. No. Because he's a micro editor. And I'll tell you how I know this. He it's interviewed Yeah, he, he interviewed Stephen King and he asked Stephen King um how he wrote so much. And then he explained his own writing process and how writing five hundred words a day, I mean or having writing five hundred words is like, you know, basically pulling out his flesh out of his own body. And I mean, he didn't actually use those words, but the, but but the intent was clear. And Stephen King was like, Well, I write five pages a day. I get up, I go into my office, I sit down, and I write five pages a day. And you could just see George R. Martin's brain kind of stutter because he is a micro editing motherfucker. <laughs> and you don't want to be that. It's very bad for your productivity. And if you're wondering why book whatever is it eight? Has it come out yet? It's because he's still micro-editing it. And he's a pantser. And he may not have finished right, finished figuring out where the fuck is going to go. Um, 
Even Showtime got tired of waiting on him. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just about their end product, right? It's about how they write, what their process is like. Like, I would say I aspire to be a little bit more like Nora Roberts without the head hopping. I would agree. I um, I appreciate her level of productivity. I mean, she's four books a year. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. she's she's a boss. And she juggles multiple genres. Um so I mean she's she's um and I like this I like the quality of her prose. I always have. I actually like the funny thing is I actually like the quality of her romance prose a little bit better for me. I've found her prose a little bit more appealing as her because she, she does write differently between her more of her suspense stuff um and her prose and her romance. It I is would a little agree. Bit her Jenny different. Rob voice is a little she has a very lyrical tone as a romance writer, but her yeah. J.D. Robb voice is um, brisk and um, it can be sharp at times. And I think because her 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 tone, her um, her voice is sharper in her J.D. Robb books, the head hopping is more jarring. pronounced, jarring. It's jarring. Yeah, it it's is like, jarring. Wow. Well, that just so you run out, week. right? But- <laughs> But the thing is, I actually, I like, I like and the, normally, normally with the kind of stuff you would think I would like, you would think I'd like her J.D. Robb voice better. But I just, I really found a, her romance was more appealing. I like the J.D. Robb voice too, but it, it's just, it's kind of like looking at that and going, it's, it's not that I'm saying that I want to write like Nora Roberts. It's not that. But I like her level of productivity. I like that she actually has a... Not many writers have a distinct voice between genres. And she really does. That is a difficult thing to master. Is 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 dropping the norms of one genre to, to pick up the norms of another. Because there are norms in a genre. And it's one of the reasons why sometimes romance writers don't do well outside of the romance genre. Is because it just winds up feeling like a romance in another genre. It um, does speak to her skill. Yeah, it does. And I think that she actually brings um one of the reasons why I find the JD Robb series so compelling despite the content which sometimes can be a little much for me um is that she brings a lot of character work to the table that I don't often see in that kind of series and I think that comes from her romance background. I agree. Where you really the a romance is built on characterization. Mm-hmm. Um and her character work in her JD Robb series um is compelling. And I don't mean I didn't mean that comment by the way to be with this podcast ever goes up. I don't I don't want anybody to think I'm dissing romance. I'm not. It's just if you are a romance writer and you are in, in, in you know entrenched in that and that is what you've learned and you understand the norms of that genre. Um most people who make a switch to another genre, they still wind up writing basically a romance just with the trappings of another genre. And to actually make a full switch to another genre is, is it's a difficult skill to master. Um, and I do think, I, but I like, I like really solid, solid character work. So that's one of the reasons why I like her no matter what she writes, but I like the prose quality of her romance a little bit better. So, but I, I would, I aspire to be the kind of like, have the kind of productivity and discipline that she has. Um, and even Stephen King too. It's like, I get up every day and I write, it's part of my, it's part of their job. I mean, this isn't my job though. So, right. So it is a little bit different. Um, because if it's not your actual job, sometimes you have to put your actual work in as the thing you do every day. But um, 
But I think the thing that's important there is they treat it like it's an important part of their life. And that is really key when you're figuring out where, where you're going to fit your writing is, is, is treating it like it's important. Whether you're treating it like it's an important hobby or you're, it's your job or whatever, is treating it like it's important. I agree. And I also really admire her online presence. Nora Roberts is, she also, it, she doesn't take any shit from anybody, but she does it with a lot of grace. And I admire that. Except for that one time she told a reader to bite her. I mean. Well, I mean, but I mean, even that, I would have, I would have blown up and told him to bite me way sooner. Yeah. I mean, she was still a fucking lady about it, but. <laughs> I mean, she does it. She's even when she's telling somebody to fuck off, she does it way nicer than I would have. Um, so that it's just, you know, and I understand what I need to work on in my own writing. What I, but where I feel like I'm solid, where I feel like I need to work. Um, and those are, I think those are really important things to, to have um, understanding about in your own craft. Um, and maybe not every aspect of it. You don't have to understand, like, you know, where you are on every aspect of craft. How am I on pacing? How am I on um, character development? How am I? I mean, you don't need to. You don't need to understand where you are. You don't need to give yourself a scorecard. But I understand my strengths, and I understand what I feel like I need to work on the most. So, and I don't. I don't. And I don't have a problem admitting where my writing. I think my writing needs work. I know where I suffer, and I still. I still do things to myself. I still do things to myself. And I'm like, why? Why did I, why did I plot that? That's why, did not, I plot a, that's, why did I plot a battle when I don't like writing action scenes? Who knows? Why are 10 chapters of this book all about battle? <laughs> why did I plot an entire book about a battle? I don't know. <laughs> Why did I think writing one sentence was enough to kick it? <laughs> and then the Battle of the Five Armies happens. Um, and, you know, like for me, like one of the things I so dislike writing, I can do it. I can do, I can write. I, it's not a case it can't. I can do write, I can write action. But honestly, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to get to a point where it feels like it flows well and it's not boring. And, um, and so one of the things I have a tendency to do is I also don't like a lot of detail. I, I don't like it when I read, like when a writer gets really bogged down in detail, I'm like, I'm ch I've checked the fuck out. So I don't like to, so sometimes my dislike of reading that has translated into a complete lack of it in my own writing. And also um, I, so I find that sometimes I'm shortcutting some things that should be there, some detail that should be in the story. I'm, short you know just completely glossing over some action that should have been in the story because i just didn't want to write it um and that's become an area i need to work on and it's because i just don't want you know it's more like I, well i don't want it's not that i can't it's just i don't want to you know and so i've kind of let my kind of um it's like a little bit of petulance about it kind of creep into the point where it's become sometimes i'm going this is almost becoming a little bit of a deficiency where I'm just kind of, you know, skipping over and doing a, you know, like a one paragraph summary of it later, which works for some things, but at some point it's like, well, you just skip the whole, Jillian, you just skip the whole meat of that entire <laughs> chapter. Um, 
And sometimes when you do that, I mean, I, I'm not speaking to you specifically, but when when you do something like that to yourself as a writer, that you're um, you're lessening the impact of your work. Yeah, and part of it, it's not, it is maybe a little bit of apathy, but I think it's partially. Um, sometimes, especially last year, it was a lot. I just wanted to get to the parts that I wanted to write, and I didn't want to write the parts that were laborious. But sometimes, not every piece of a story is flow super smoothly sometimes you do have to labor over some parts of it and um i think when i'm finding more and more like more scenes laborious than not i picked the wrong project to write um i have a big project in the back of my mind um that i want to do for quantum bang and it is when i when i had the idea i thought oh god no one's done that before and then it was just like, oh, God, should I be the one to do it? <laughs> oh, you probably should. <laughs> but then, you know, it's just like, so So it's been kind of lumbering in my in my mind for a while. And I can't talk about it because it, it is a quantum bang idea. Um, but I've also had this idea that I want to do for Harry, for Harry Potter that I've already introduced to you guys for next year. Um and um, one thing I was struggling with at the at the at the was the construction of the project involving the time travel. And then I, thanks to somebody, Jillian, this is credit, not blame. I did something. I plotted something. I said I would never do. And That's I wondered, true. I wondered what that was and and why that was. And and I wondered. I wondered in the past how how writers in the Harry Potter fandom get there. You know, how do they get to the Marauder era, the Marauder era as, you know, for time travel? How do you get there? How, what is the process by which you put Harry Potter there instead of anywhere else in his timeline? It's not even his timeline anymore. He's not even born yet. Why'd you do that? How'd you get there? And I figured it out. Y'all, I'm real damn tired of getting rid of all those fucking Horcruxes. But they'll be there. They'll just be different. And it's it's a different circumstance. And I'm tired of writing fifth and sixth and seventh year. Um, and I can't write a post-Hogwarts and do a time travel at the same time. I mean, I could, but it would be weird. And then I wanted to connect them. And I thought, well, would anybody mind if I switched November and April's ideas? <laughs> And put, I'm like, no, I can't. I've already established it. People might have plans already. I can't put time travel in April. And so, and then, and then that's what happened. I ended up back in 1975 when I said I would never write one. Now, granted, they, they won't be at Hogwarts because I'm not doing that. Uh, they might go there once because of the stupid Horcrux and stupid room of requirement. But it's not quite the same. And I don't, and I was like, I, but, for a very you long sound... time, I thought I am not ever writing a time travel, a physical time travel. There's no why. Why would I do that? And now here I am, having well, planned also... it and written and plotted, and all... it's a hundred k. Didn't you also kind of say that you would never write a Marauders era thing? Yeah, I did. And aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> I am. But sometimes you get an idea. You think I'm, I would never do that, and then you get an idea like, "Oh, I found I found the reason why I would do that." Boredom. Yeah, I'm I don't think super it, bored it, with it. 
but you it was because it it allowed you to approach the project in a way that excited you and not have to you know retread the path you've you've been on before and sometimes that's what we really want is like i don't want to write the same story i've written before i don't even want to write the same story i've written before with different characters um i want to come up with something new and so because really if i had actually just time travel from that point in their lives it would have been a rehash of, of darkly loyal ex without hermione and probably without that background plot of the lux ordinance so it wouldn't have been i've already done that and while I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed my hit list, why would I want to write that again? I can just go read it. <laughs> right. You already did it. So, especially when you've already done it in a way that feels really satisfying. Sometimes you, you know, sometimes you want to, like, get really, like, wrapped around the axle about a particular thing in canon, like dead air. And you find multiple ways to explore it. But sometimes you're like, okay, I've dead explored air. this. Thing. Yeah. I don't need to do it. You know, I don't need to do it again. Um yeah, I see like 2,500 responses to Dead Air because it's so frustrating. And each one of them would be different. Yeah, they are all very different. And it is also a very pivotal point in canon that lines up really interestingly with um, a certain other show. Um, I just don't think there's enough, you know, honestly. Considering that see, that lines up perfectly with the start of Hawaii Five-0. I know, I do not, right? I don't understand why there's not more. All aboard the mothership. I mean, Shade Shifter noticed that. <laughs> They're in the same For universe. For fuck's sake, do I not have a Steve McGarrett prompt on our, our calendar? You don't, I don't think. No. The shame. But I'm willing to take some of those themes and make them Steve McGarrett prompts. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that works. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I don't know, Noam. How'd you miss the podcast notification? I put it on Twitter. I put it on Facebook. I put it on um, Discord a whole hour before the podcast even started, which is rare for me, you know, so. We missed you, Noam. But we had a half hour of technical difficulties, so you missed less than you think you missed. Yeah. <laughs> the Chad left us. He did. He literally left. He was gone. <laughs> We had to go find the Chad. And then I had to actually name him Chad again because it turns out his name isn't actually Chad. I'd forgotten <laughs> what his name actually was. <laughs> but what is the Tony prompt? I don't even remember. Is there a Tony prompt? There is a Tony prompt. I thought there was. What month is the Tony prompt? Um, I don't know. Well, as far as I'm concerned, most of these could be Tony prompts because I'm willing to pair him with a lot of people. Um... We put dots on so many of these. It makes me so happy. <laughs> the Jilly, Jilly is, is addicted a, to dots. She's I love Boca dots. dots. I Boca makes me so happy. I mean, it's just, I, I try to restrain myself and go, does it actually work on this piece of art? But there's a chance that Boca is going to work on a piece of art is going to be there. <laughs> I'll put it on my art for next year. <laughs> I did. Um... I'll show. I think we showed it in one of the channels, but I did a kind of a more dark and serious. Okay, so if you look at the July art for Derek um, from the calendar here, if you look at the July art for Derek, um, 
dots. Okay, bokeh. There's bokeh all over that. Okay, but it's a, it's a kind of a dark prompt, right? Um, my first draft of that was a gag. It was to make Kira laugh. And it did make me giggle. Was this. <laughs> so now my sister saw them both and she said no 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 you need to replace it you need to use the heart one and i was like no well i think the heart one is lovely but the dark one matches the one sentence prompt better so yeah it did it did and i was trying to match the prompt so uh but yeah um I just thought it was, I thought it was, I did, th those, those are one of the stylistic dots that are the bokeh, it's not really bokeh, they call them some other effect. I'm like, that's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we stuck bokeh dots everywhere that we could. I mean, everywhere. it's obvious. It's obvious. It's all over everything. I love it. Did y'all notice my, um, on January, I put a Canadian shack in space? <laughs> Did anybody get that? Because that was the whole point of that one. Whatever. Anyways, um, we we really had a lot of fun with the with the the prompts, and, and I I I hope they're inspiring and, and that you guys use them. And if you do, come over and fill out the little thing and put it in the comments so people can see what you did and, and read what you did. And like I said, there's no time thing on it. You can do whatever you want whenever you want. Just you know, have fun with it. Yeah, and only Lady Holder has to use our art. <laughs> That's right. You can use the art if you want to, but you don't have to. Lady Holder has to use the art. <laughs> She's obligated. I think I'm obligated too. It's in too, the bitch but... code. Yeah, it is in the bitch code. <laughs> and my final thoughts on the writing thing is be kind to yourself when you are looking back at how the last year went. Um, and remember, as far as I'm concerned, um, the year is not over yet. Um <laughs> Lunar New Year is on February 12th. Um, Claire wants to use the heart one. <laughs> Claire, you may you may use the heart one. Um, it's all yours, baby. But the Lunar New Year is on February 12th, so we'll just continue to call this. Uh, we'll call to continue to call this 2020. Um, and uh, however you feel about 2020, if it went great for you. I think that that is wonderful because it was a challenging year. I know we have a few people that kind of came back to writing in 2020 in part because they were at home more and, and it was an outlet for what was going on. So people wrote more because they needed that creative outlet for their feelings, how they're feeling. So people wrote less because of the frustration and everything. So whatever, whatever 2020 was for you, just let it be. Give, cut yourself some slack. Give yourself a pat on the back for getting through it. Um, and then when you look at 2021, learn from what happened in 2020 and figure out how you can be kind to yourself in terms of your goal setting. Um, and uh, and the year the year starts on February 12th. That that's the beginning. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse for this this week to be part of this year because I do not need 2021 to have started off with a hold my beer moment. I just don't. 
think 2020 was bad. Well, hold my beer. Fuck you. <laughs> I just, I can't, I just, what the actual fuck, y'all? <laughs> I think that's a little Freudian, Claire, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to read whatever you would like to post. You can take it as a suggestion if you want. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's y'all. It's y'all. Anyways, um, I know I've got like nine podcasts to edit. I, I, I know. I actually have one prepped in the queue for editing now. Um, it's a writer's table. And I'm going to get through them and um, put them up. Uh, we were, um, we, we were invited to uh, um, syndicate with Amazon. So... That was really? interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I also have another one that I have not investigated yet that we've also been in, invited to syndicate with. Um, yeah, the podcast is syndicated on a whole bunch of things. Uh, uh, Spotify, Google. Well, I know, but there's one thing to initiate. It's one thing to initiate your syndication, which we did. It's another thing to get invited to syndicate. That feels like well, somebody's... I was originally invited to in, invited to iTunes when I was on Blog Talk, and I was invited to. There's another one on there that I was invited to, and then of course we've been invited to Amazon. So that's just crazy cakes, y'all. So, anyways, it is what it is. But, the, but there's another one, Autofly or Autofly, Audrey. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> We've been invited to Audrey. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. Okay, so you've got a bunch of podcasts to queue up. Maybe, maybe this, this will, be will be number ten. Which maybe, maybe uh, by the uh, by the Lunar New Year, so it can be your kickoff for people who be kind to yourself next year. People, be kind to yourself. That should be the more. That should be the. That should be the. Uh, the theme for for your writing for next year is be nice to yourself and you know make your goals adjustable so you don't so you're not mean to yourself the world's mean enough so i hope that you guys had a good evening and that you have a great week and that the weekend has been um less stressful than last week and um we don't have to have another c-span party anytime soon and um we shall catch you later. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.